key of David and scepter of the house of Israel. You open and no one shuts. You shut and no one opens. Come and bring out the prisoner from the prison house, the one who sits in darkness and the shadow of death. On this 20th of December, we have this O Antiphon, O Clavis David, O Key of David. And in a strange way, this Key of David, this title of Christ, is like a key to the whole Bible. The scriptures begin with the closing of paradise to our first parents after their fall. We read in Genesis chapter 3, The Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. That closing of paradise by God was actually for the good of mankind. And that's because after our foolish and childish rebellion in the garden, we had to be prevented in a way from grasping at things in a selfish way and begin instead the long and difficult road home through a progress in true human maturity, a growth in selfless and sacrificial love until we might reach the full measure of our humanity, truly made in the image and likeness of God himself. That closing of paradise, although it was not what God wanted to do for us at first, it actually uh, was necessary after our first sin, so that we might rediscover the way to true communion with God. And that reopening of paradise for us only happens much later in the scriptures, when Christ himself, who is perfect God and perfect man, dies on the cross, opening the way to true communion and friendship with God. When the penitent thief on the cross next to him says, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingly power, our Lord replies to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's be clear that this paradise is not exactly the same as the Garden of Eden at the beginning of the scriptures. We don't return to our former state. We're called to grow beyond it until, as St. Paul writes to the Ephesians, we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature adulthood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're called to be quite simply partakers of the divine nature itself, as St. Peter says. If the scriptures began with a closing of paradise, they end with the heavenly kingdom fully open to redeemed humanity. In St. John's vision of the heavenly Jerusalem in the Apocalypse, we read, The twelve gates of the city were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. The Lamb is shining upon the city, and then we read, Its gates shall never be shut by day, and there shall be no night there. They shall bring into it the glory and the honour of the nations. But nothing unclean shall enter it, nor any one who practises abomination or falsehood, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's notice then that the gates of the heavenly Jerusalem are always open. In the end, we are assured 
that God wants us to be with him, to dwell secure in his heavenly city with no fear or anxiety. After all, that's why we close our doors or our gates. We're afraid of who might come in unbidden, whether it's thief or wild beast. But in the heavenly Jerusalem, there is no reason to close the gates against external threats. We're utterly safe. Yet there is a condition that no unclean thing, no person practicing wickedness would be able to enter. So the gates are open, but you have to want to enter, to let yourself in entering be purified by the Lord so that you truly become worthy to come inside. I think there's a moral realism here about entry into God's kingdom. And this moral realism is actually expressed in the background to, to, to today's antiphon, O key of David, and what that means in the Old Testament. The phrase comes from Isaiah chapter 22. Yes, I'm afraid it's Isaiah again, you might have guessed. Isaiah is criticizing a man called Shebna, who was the master of King Hezekiah's palace, Judah. And Shebna is the only individual critiqued by that prophet. So it shows that this is a, an important criticism. So let's pay attention. But although Shebna is the one uh, singled out in this way, the warning could be heard by anyone like him, any self-serving official. Here again is the moral realism of the scriptures. But after criticizing Shebna, the prophet Isaiah makes a positive and a hopeful prediction. He says, in that day, I, the Lord, will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe, and will bind your girdle on him, and will commit your authority to his hand, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open, and none shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. And I will fasten him like a peg in a sure place, and he will become a throne of honour to his father's house. There we have the bulk of our antiphon for today, reference to the key of David, firstly, but also this idea of you open and no one shuts, you shut and no one opens. So we have here an Old Testament person, a historical figure, that's Shebna firstly, but who's going to give way to Eliakim. And this Eliakim has a symbolic function too, which is fulfilled explicitly by Christ. We read in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write this, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one shall shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. That's Christ himself attributing to himself this name of the key of David and the power to open so that no one can shut and to shut and so that no one can open. But I think it's very interesting that in the last phrase I read, there seems to be a preferential option for opening rather than shutting. Christ says, behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. Just like later in the book of Revelation, we saw that the heavenly Jerusalem, the city, has gates that remain open, and it's an open door for us to enter 
if we allow the Lord to purify us. So here there is a preference for keeping the gate, the door open. In the Divine Comedy by the great poet Dante, we hear when the poet gets to the gate of purgatory, which is a great thing uh, on rusty hinges because it seems that uh, too few people seek to enter. Well, when it opens, uh, we're told that there is a preference given for opening rather than closing. At the judgment when uh, a penitent sinner comes forth, what heaven wants is to give us every opportunity, every possibility of entering, if only we want to. And when that great door swings open and Dante and Virgil step through, they hear the great sound of a Te Deum, the church's song of joy. Incidentally, this uh, book of Revelation that I've been quoting from quite a bit is full of opening and closing. In chapter 4, verse 1 of Revelation, we hear from St. John who says, After this I looked, and lo, in heaven, an open door. A bit later, in the next chapter, chapter 5, we hear about the scroll, the scroll that is closed with seven seals. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I wept much that no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, Weep not. Lo, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. It's Christ who opens, in this case, the seven seals of the scroll. He opens where none else can do that. And notice that at the end there was that other title of Christ, the Root of David, which refers back to yesterday's antiphon, O Root of Jesse. I think that fulfillment in Christ is needed here with the key of David because Eliakim cannot be the final reference of that prophecy of that title, the key of David. Like Shebna before him, Eliakim will fall from grace, him and his whole family who tried to profit from his promotion. Just a couple of verses after the promise of Eliakim's rise, we read on in Isaiah 22. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, the peg that was fastened in a sure place will give way and it will be cut down and fall and the burden that was upon it will be cut off for the Lord has spoken. So Eliakim has not got the final authority of opening and closing. The people of Judah and Israel still needed to await their ultimate Messiah. Another reason perhaps why there's a fulfillment in Christ uh, awaited here is in the symbolism of the key itself. Why was this key hanging from the shoulder of Eliakim? It's actually because the key in those days, and I think the reference is back to the great palaces of Egypt, the key for the great door to the palace of the king is so big uh, that it's so heavy that you can't carry it in your pocket. The door, being so large and with a complicated lock, needed a long key made of, of wood uh, with metal bars attached to it so that it could unlock these great doors. It was so heavy you had to carry it on your shoulder. 
And it was not easy, sorry, not too difficult then, for the Christians later to see in this key of David a reference to another piece of wood, a large, heavy piece of wood carried on the shoulder. You can see I'm referring to Christ's cross that he carried on the way to Golgotha. The cross of Christ is like this great key that unlocks the gates of paradise. The end of our antiphon today says, come and bring out the prisoner from the prison house. Now, prisons feature a lot in the New Testament. You get John the Baptist in prison. And he sadly doesn't escape. But after the resurrection of Christ, many of the apostles are imprisoned. You get Peter and John very quickly as they await their trial in front of the Sanhedrin. Peter again is, is uh, arrested. He's going to be killed but he's rescued by an angel and he escapes from the prison. He thinks he's dreaming until suddenly he realizes he's awake and he goes and knocks on the Christian's house. St. Paul as well, he writes many letters from prison and so on. There seems to be a theme here that although believing in Christ is something that is likely to get you into trouble at some point, perhaps even persecuted in prison, Christ always breaks us free. Christ is our freedom. The risen Christ comes through the locked doors of the upper room where the disciples had been cowering in fear. And Christ says to them, peace be with you. Perhaps there's uh, another reference here, this key of David, to the harrowing of hell. Christ, uh, at his death, opens the gates of paradise and in that same moment, bashes down the gates of hell. He said to Peter that he was giving him the keys of the kingdom and that the gates of the underworld would not prevail against the church founded on Peter. And we see in the icons, especially in the East, uh, this image of Christ harrowing hell, bursting the gates of the underworld, squashing the devil under his feet, grabbing the hand of Adam and Eve, who are quite old by now, uh, and leading them and all the righteous people of the former ages out of their prison of the underworld and into the light of paradise. It's interesting that this antiphon, O key of David, says, come and bring out the prisoner from this prison house using the singular, just one prisoner. Uh, why not prisoners in the plural? And why the one sitting in the shadow of death? Why not all of them? I think this might be a reference to Adam himself. In the harrowing of hell, it's Adam whose hand is grabbed first by Christ, the, the oldest person. And all humanity is found, in a way, in Adam, the father of the race. And in the same way, all the saved, the redeemed, are in Christ, the new Adam, who is the head of our restored humanity. As St. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that great chapter on the resurrection, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. The harrowing of hell uh, has other scriptural uh, warrant. For example, in the first letter of St. Peter, uh, we read that Christ went and preached to the spirits in prison. And this could refer to the prison of the underworld for those who had died before the coming of Christ. 
that last phrase, those sitting in the shadow of death, uh, sitting in darkness and the shadow of death, is something that gets picked up in many texts throughout the scriptures, but especially in the Benedictus, the song of Zechariah, father of John the Baptist, which uh, will come up this week in the gospel readings. Zechariah sings of the coming Messiah, whose way his own son is going to prepare. And the Benedictus is used at morning prayer. So it's a kind of counterpoint to the Magnificat and the Antiphon, O Key of David, for tonight. The Benedictus, Zechariah says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, when the day shall dawn upon us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Heaven has been opened by the key of Christ. The heavens were opened when Christ was baptized in the river Jordan and the dove descended from heaven, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, and we heard the voice of the Father. The heaven, heavens will be seen opened, says Christ to Nathanael, and you will see the Son of Man rising, um, and angels and, and arising and descending upon the Son of Man. Later in the Acts of the Apostles, at St. Stephen's martyrdom, he's the first martyr, and he says, I see heaven opened. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. On this day, let us pray that since the gates of heaven have been opened to us and will always stand open to us, that the Lord will purify our hearts and increase our desire to follow him all the way to paradise. Let us pray. O key of David and scepter of the house of Israel, you open and no one shuts. You shut and no one opens. Come and bring out the prisoner from the prison house, the one who sits in darkness and the shadow of death.